What's up, guys? Welcome back to Death by Stereo. This is our sixth episode featuring our January movie night. So we're going to jump right into one of our favorite segments, This Year in Horror. So I've kind of been jumping around a little bit and just picking some random years, and I just kind of pulled a name out of a hat and picked uh, 1978 this year. So right off the bat, we've got two, I would say, genre-defining horror movies that we can take a look at. Um, the original Halloween from John Carpenter, and then George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Um, I think it's safe to say that we're all huge fans of Halloween, and I think it's influenced us and our love for the genre, I mean, immensely. Am I wrong on that? No, that's that's my favorite horror movie. Like, I mean, I usually say it's a tie between Halloween and Black Christmas, but I've known and loved Halloween much longer, so it's definitely in yeah. my top. I would definitely choose Halloween, too. Would you? And you haven't seen Dawn of the Dead, right, RJ? No, I have not. All right. That's one of my all-time favorite horror movies and movies in general, and definitely a zombie movie that I love. Um, it's, I just feel like it's kind of a, a classic, and it's one I can revisit kind of over and over again, and um, the remake is very good in its own right for sure, which I feel like a lot of times, I feel like I can't think of a lot of examples right off the bat of movies that are great as a remake and the original. You know, I feel like usually the remake kind of shits the bed or sometimes outshines the original, but I feel like in their own right, they're both great, so. Yeah, Night and Dawn are definitely, like, the zombie movies. Like, Romero is the godfather of the zombie flick. Like, yeah. Those two movies are what started it all. Like, I mean, I know you could probably go back before night and find some movies that had featured a zombie of sorts, but, I mean, when you think of the beginning of the zombie genre, it's night and, and definitely dawn. For me, I mean, those two are the <clears throat> beginning. I think those are the biggest mainstream. I mean, you could go back to some of the Universal movies, I think. Yeah, like White Zombie or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but I just but feel like, I mean... This is what it has become. Yeah, I feel like night and then dawn are just the evolution of that, and... I'm not as big of a fan of um, Day of the Dead, to be honest. I mean, I like it and I own it, but it's not my favorite. It's a good zombie movie, and I like it, but out of the trilogy, it's it's definitely my least favorite. Well, I think... You could always go with Shaun of the Dead. You've never seen Shaun of the Dead. So I have not, but I, I know enough of it to make a joke. Well, Shaun of the Dead is also a great zombie movie. <laughs> One that we will be bringing at some point in the future, so prepare yourself. But, um, I mean, Night and Dawn, I think, are just so head and shoulders above above day that it's ridiculous and i think too like i saw day last and i feel like my my hopes were so high from the first two that i was just let down a lot by the third one i don't know it's it's just more of like a, a kind of dark moody plot i feel like i think for me too another thing that sets it apart with the other two is the setting just because i the, the mall was fun yeah. like the the farmhouse was fun and then like you have this what was it like a military it was like a like a missile silo i feel yeah like, so i just to me, that was just a, a more boring setting, in my opinion. I know some people may feel differently, but... Well, I've always... I don't know about you guys, but I've always had a dream of, like, being able to go into a mall or a store... Right, And yeah. just, like, wreak havoc or, like, take what I want or break things. And mm -hmm. I just feel like, like, that's where I'd want to go. I but mean, I feel like Dawn of the Dead's what makes us have that thought, because... That, it helps. The only problem <laughs> you is... You see it, and you're like... Sorry, go ahead. Good. The only problem is, is I feel like, with food-wise, like... I mean, the food court food is all shit, and it would all go bad so fast that I feel like like you'd have a lot of cool stuff to mess with, but I feel like, realistically, it's not a great place to hole up, although it'd be fun, and it'd be, like, one of my first choices. Some malls have those, like, 
sketchy looking convenience stores in them. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's it's something that's happened more often. Like at the Tri County Mall, like they yeah. have like a con- <laughs> it looks like a speedway in the mall. <laughs> it's good for this case. I mean, it's you know, it, you know you can that you can get all the clothes you want. You can there's vending machines if you need it. For me, I mean, as a shoe lover, it'd be paradise. I don't even need food. I'll just get all the shoes I want. And I'd be be good to go. Um, scrolling down the list a little bit. Um, I Spit on Your Grave is one I've heard a lot about, but I've never seen it. I was going to comment on that one, too. I've but seen it, but, like... I've, oh, I've heard a lot about it, but I haven't okay. seen it. I've seen it, but, like, to me... I, I saw this after... Like, it's just not my kind of... I don't know. Like, the re- I, some rape revenge type movies, like... I, I can't watch it and enjoy it, but, like, I did, like, Last House on the Left, and I did, like... Um, there's a new movie out from this year called Revenge that I like, mm-hmm. but I think... This one, so I Spit on Your Grave is one of those that's like, it makes you feel dirty when you're watching it. And so sometimes I can handle that. Sometimes it's just too much. But, yeah. and you know what I mean, because uh, we talked uh, we talked about that about Maniac. And yeah. like, uh, some people will say that about the original Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, some people may be really into that series, but it's just, it's it's okay. It's not a bad movie, but it's not something that I want to rewatch often. I think it's when, that yeah, I get that feeling when the main characters are like, so overmatched and against like up against the wall to where they have no chance and we'll actually get to like a feeling on this later in one of our movie reviews but um i just feel like that's when i feel kind of like dirty or feel like wrong like in last house on the left you know you just have these two teenage girls that get picked up and just raped and absolutely brutalized by these these people and it's like you just feel so bad because there's no hero you know waiting around the corner to save the day like it's almost like reality. Like these people are just screwed. And I think that makes it, makes it fun, but it also makes it, you know, tough to watch for some people. Hearing your thoughts though on that, like that makes me want to bring that movie revenge just to hear your opinion and thoughts on that movie. Mm-hmm. You ever seen the movie old boy? Oh, I love old boy. Old Boy's the good. original. I've never seen the remake. I've never seen the remake either. The original was <clears> very, very good. I love that movie. And I, I mean, I felt like wrong watching it just because, have you ever seen? You've never seen Old Boy. But that twist, yeah, like that, a twist at the end, to me, that's yeah. one of the ultimate revenge plots. Like, yeah. oh my! Like when I when that unraveled, I was just like, holy shit! Yeah, that was that was bad. Um, Piranha, the original, came out this year. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen the original. I've seen the remake, which was Piranha 3D, which was I've it was seen fun, that, but it was yeah. shitty. I mean, I've not was, seen the original. It was what I expected. Um, you had mentioned off air Jaws two. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a good. One. I don't really remember Jaws two all that much. Jaws two is a a good one. It's yeah. I think it's three and four that typically. It's still I still Jack like Brody, doesn't it? Second one, yeah. The second it's one has his, it's him and his kids and his wife. Okay. Um, I mean I do like that, but I think with Jaws, I just only think of the original. Like there's just so many scenes in that that I burn in my brain that I can't even like picture a lot of the. Oh well, yeah, the fr- it's like the movies. first one's leagues ahead of the others, but I mean some people do love the second one, but yeah. to me. The sequels are the sequels, and yeah. Jaws will always be on a pedestal. Yeah. Um, looking down the list, I mean, there's some. <clears throat> there's a lot more that I haven't heard of this year, or at least haven't seen. Um, like Dracula's Dog sounds kind of fun. Richie, Bar- have you seen that one? No. Because oh, I know it's it's Universal monsterish, so I didn't know if you. Barracuda, which I assume is kind of like Piranha. Um, that seems. Uh, seems a little. Fun. Um. I was mentioning to Brent, actually, before we started the segment, um, Magic with um, Anthony Hopkins. That's one that I've actually just recently started watching, and I've not finished it. Um, I just got busy and couldn't pay attention. 
But um, so but essentially that is uh, Anthony Hopkins' character is like a like a performing magician, and he's like struggling and and like not like he's just doing card tricks and stuff. And then he he has this dummy that he gains fame from like being a what do they call it again? Ventriloquist. Ventriloquist, yeah. So um, I'll be anxious to see the ending of that when I when I get around to finishing it because it didn't seem like it was really horror, but yeah, there might be a twist or something. Yeah, it's cool. So. This one I'm looking at Spawn of the Slithis. It kind of looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon is like bending this chick over. If you look at the <laughs> exactly what it. it looks like. Yeah, dude, it looks like it like big fat the creature with these buff muscles. Like Ben and this girl. And actually, and, and and it actually kind of looks like he's just forcing her yeah. head down on him. <laughs> that could be. That could be. I mean, maybe he's a different kind of creature. You know, it's. it's and he's like slither this. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I've never seen that. Um, that's a good movie. That's got your boy's dad in it. That's a. Uh, uh, Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Love that dude. Uh, Beijing of the Body Snatchers is a good movie. Like that's. I think that's one that has like actually gotten critical acclaim. Yeah, I've heard of that. Um. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, have you guys seen that? Unfortunately. Is it literally like giant killer tomatoes that eat people? Yeah. That sounds great. I, I know like some people out there are big B-movie fans, but yeah, to me it's fun when you're watching it, but it's not something I want to revisit a whole lot. No, it's, it's not something that like I would probably recommend to a lot of people. But I think I out of the three of us, you would probably be the most yeah. high on that because yeah. you like the silly stuff. I like the goofy, weird stuff. And that, I don't know, especially like a giant killer tomato or like... I mean, Sharknado, that series, has kind of gone off the rails big time. Like, there's just too many of them now, but the first couple were funny. And, mm. it, like, it, especially when it knows what it is and it's ridiculous, like, it's just, it can be fun. I enjoy it. I do see one that I'll talk about. Um, on Google, they're labeling it as Stranger in Our House, which maybe it had a different name, but I know it as Summer of Fear. This is a Wes Craven movie, and it was a it was a uh, made-for-TV movie starring Linda Blair. And I actually had just come across it because they released a Blu-ray of it. Uh, recently and I'm a I consider myself a big Wes Craven fan so I bought it um it was it was pretty good for like a made for tv movie it's like a witch type movie but it was a pretty good one if you haven't checked that out and you're a Wes Craven fan uh I mean Linda Blair and Wes Craven you can't really go wrong there other than it being a made for tv movie any other ones look interesting or that we've seen or that's kind of where it ends for me I yeah I mean there's nothing else that I've seen that I want to talk about but as far as like things that I want to see um, I wouldn't mind seeing The Fury. That's Brian De Palma, and he's, like, a great director. Yeah. The Grapes of Death looks interesting. <laughs> wonder if that's, like, a take on The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, it's, it's a French movie, and I don't know what, what the other flag is on there. I've not seen uh, George Romero's Martin. That's on here. Um, but I'm sure that's pretty good if it's Romero. Oh, yeah. But I've not seen that one. That's yeah. one I wouldn't mind checking out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, it's a good little mix. I mean, it's not... I think it's probably the the lowest on my list of the three we've done so far, but I mean, obviously, 86 and 87 are kind of prime years for these, so... One more I will touch on. Yeah. Um, the Bees. <laughs> because oh. this is one that I just come across by accident, because I was, um, I was doing some shopping at a convention at the Vinegar Syndrome table, and the guy had a copy of this movie called The Bees. If this is the same one, let me click on it. Um, yeah, it is. It is. So he he was like he was like I'll I'll throw in a copy of the Bees for ten bucks. So I took it and it's got um uh, what's his name? God damn it! The he plays the dad Nancy's dad on Nightmare on Elm Street. He was in Black Christmas. Um, he's always a freaking cop too. 
Anyways, I can't remember his name. I'm sure if you're listening, you can probably come up with it. It's John Saxon. That's what it is. Mm. But it was pretty good. It was just like it was just about uh, like swarms of killer bees and uh, attacking like the scientists and stuff. It was it was decent. That sounds fun. It, it sounds was like another. It was something of, different. Like a bee movie that yeah could be fun. So yeah, uh, 1978. Some got some good ones in there and got um, a lot more that we haven't seen and maybe we want to check out. So it's definitely worth a look. So. Um, do we want to move into our next segment, which I am really excited about, because we finally, <clears throat> our prayers have been answered, and we got some listener emails. So, thank you very much to those that have sent emails in. Yeah, actually, just uh, going in, logging into the email, we've gotten two since I've last checked, so. Is that four now? Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. So we've got four. Still, we're um, going to do all of them this time? Yeah, do you want me to read? Yeah, you can read them. Okay. You guys cool with that? Mm-hmm. Alright, so, uh, the first email we got here says it's from our number one fan. That's right. This is from Lauren Murphy, so thanks, Lauren, for sending this in. We appreciate you. She says, first, I just want to say how impressed I am with you guys. I don't ever go out of my way to watch scary movies because they aren't my cup of tea, but your reviews sometimes make me want to go watch them. It made me go watch The Lost Boys, and I loved it. I didn't watch the Maniac movies, but I did watch the trailers. I gotta say, the remake looks a lot better. I typically hate remakes, especially when they're classics. So what's your take on remakes, and did the Maniac remake do it justice? Love always, Lauren. P.S. I'm still waiting on the miniseries for The Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> we will have to do that for you. Yeah, yeah, we would. Uh, I mean, it's only one season. We can all watch it kind of on our own, and we can just come back with our thoughts. So, I mean, first off, we appreciate your email. You are our biggest fan, and we love you. So, uh, who wants to go first? We're talking about remakes. As far as remakes, um, <clears throat> I, I personally, um, I always give a remake a shot. Like, I'm not anti-remake. Um, of course, there's definitely been stinkers, and there's been some that even almost convinced me that they're better than the original. Uh, as far as, like, like the Maniac movies, and you probably heard in our episode when we reviewed them, I liked the Maniac remake better than the original. So, it just depends. Like, a lot of the times, I'll always prefer the original, but I don't always hate the remake. What about you guys? Um... It kind of depends, because so many, um, for the most part, the remake never really does the original justice, from what, from my experience, but really just depends on the type of movie and what the director who's making the sequel or the next movie in line is able to work with. I think for horror remakes, uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of, I guess, I feel a little bit different, I'm in a little bit of the minority, is I feel like... Sometimes I'm initially, like, anti-remake. Um, like, we had talked about, so Pet Cemetery comes out this year, um, which, it's not one of my favorite movies or anything. Um, and then there, well, I guess reboots, we're not counting as remakes, right? Uh, I mean, kind of I'll just similar. Yeah, I'll stick to just remakes, then, or reboots, remakes. Um... I don't know, some some remakes I kind of go into, and if it's a, a favorite movie of mine, I kind of go into it with a little bit of skepticism, because, you know, if I cherish the original, you know, I think, like, there's no way you can do this better, you know, you're just going to try and add your own little plot twist on it here and there, and it's going to be, you know, worse for wear, but, I mean, I've been proven wrong a lot, which I like, like, um, Dawn of the Dead, as we mentioned, I mean, I hold both in very high regard, and... 
you know, I've heard people say that there's not a lot of character development in the the remake, but you know, for what it is, it's it's a zombie movie with people trapped in a mall. Like you know, you, you kind of know how it is. So um, I mean, that's a really good example. Um, Maniac. Maniac. I I mean, you, if you listen to the review, you know, I like the Maniac remake better than the original, and the original is still very good. I enjoyed it a lot, but I just felt like like we had mentioned, you know, the remake takes what worked and didn't work in the original and then improves on that. And I feel like if that, if the remake does that, it can be perfect and it can be just what you need. But I feel like sometimes if you make a remake just for the sake of it, I think the franchise can suffer because then it kind of dilutes the pool a little bit. And then you end up just getting, you know, too many like chefs in the kitchen and then there's just too many ideas. And so, um, I think it just depends. It depends I, on the movie. Look at the um, newest Halloween movie. They literally ruined the ending because they were so worried about making a sequel. That's for not it. a remake. It's not a though. remake, though. It's a sequel. But I think to in order to make a successful remake, you have to like res- you have to take what's like respected about the original and and keep that, but like also at, incorporate ideas that are their own and and make them. So it's got to, I think it's got to pay respects to its original, but all, by also like putting its own spin on it and not, it, not doing a very exact copy. Like there's a couple remakes like Psycho and, um, and Funny Games where like they did an exact like shot for shot remake. And like, I don't, I personally don't like that. Like if you're going to remake a movie, like, like I said, respect the original content, but also have that director put its own spin on its vision and like bring something new to it well i mean black christmas is one of your all-time favorites so how do you feel about the remake versus the original? Uh, <laughs> um I, it's just the first one the original is is leagues ahead of that remake and i want to say i hate the remake and i want to say i like the remake i go back and forth there's definitely like i can sit and watch the remake at, by itself and enjoy it as like a like a slasher movie but as a, it kind of sucks at the same time. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, when I watched it in high school, I didn't, like, critique movies as much as I do now. And I enjoyed that movie and watched it all the time. But, I mean, going back and watching it and being such a fan of the original, there's just pieces that... And, and I want to I don't want to say too much because you haven't seen it, but I want you to watch it sometime so then we can discuss it. Yeah. But it's just, there's some parts of it, too, that... Um, and, and for people who are listening and might know what I'm talking about, I'll just say, uh, Billy and Agnes, like, there's some things with that that get a little, it's too weird for me, and I don't, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll get onto that some other time, but. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on the movie, and I think, um, I mean, there are a lot of remakes that I, that I treasure and that I actually like better than the original, and there are some that I, I, I think are just as good, and, you know, I, there are a lot of bad remakes, and I think that's why. The, I mean, the term is just kind of met with shutters and, you know, it gets a bad rap because there's just so many that are just kind of a money grab that aren't good. But, I mean, if it's a movie I like, I'll always give it a shot. So, um, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. So, uh, thanks again, Lauren, for your question. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Lauren. Look forward to uh, any more that you send in. All right. Uh, another one we got. This was a, a message we got from listener and previous guest on the pod, Todd. Love Todd. Um, <laughs> He sent me a message, and he was catching up on the pod and wanted to give some listener feedback on the Lost Boys after he was listening to our Lost Boys spotlight. He said, "Um, first time I watched the Lost Boys, I had borrowed the VHS from my friend around 6th or 7th grade. 
When I got home from school, I was locked out of my house, so I had to go to my neighbor's, where I watched it with my friend's ultra-religious mom. <laughs> oh, God. So, that sounds fun. It's a conversation in and of itself. Yeah. Right. I'm kind of curious. I, I wish you would have elaborated and told us more about how that went. Like, what his experience was with her. Like, yeah. was she, like, was she, like, laughing and, like, rooting for, like, the characters? Or was she kind of, like, snobbish about it? Like, yeah, Todd, we'd love to know, because that's, uh, that's interesting. I mean, thinking back on it, I mean, there was not... There's one sex scene in the film. They don't show anything um, because they they shot it originally and Jamie Gertz was topless and then she was nervous about that so they just kind of worked around it and kind of you know worked the movie magic. Damn, so that's a shame. I should they should have put that in the deleted scenes. Bastards. <laughs> maybe in the like the Criterion edition or maybe if Screen Factory does it. But um, bring it back. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, there's not like it was rated R back then, which is is kind of silly because. There's only a few cuss words in it, and they don't show that much gore, to be <clears> honest. I mean, I think compared to things now, it's a pretty tame, t- it's a very tame R. I think today it'd be a PG-13, no question. Um, but yeah, that, I can't imagine watching it with somebody back, I mean, back in the day, very religious. Like, I'm sure that didn't go over very well. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, it'd be funny if, if you were, you went in with the expectations, oh, this is an uber-religious woman, and she was sitting there going like, woo! Like, you're, like, laughing and stuff, and you're just kind of, like, in shock. But it would be uncomfortable if she was the opposite, too. Yeah. So. I had actually a quick funny story. So um, when I was in, I think I was in eighth grade, um, one of the guys, I went to a very small Catholic grade school, and uh, one of the guys in my class had all of us over for, like, a Halloween party. And um, they were asking people, like, if they had any cool horror movies, and I mentioned The Lost Boys, and, you know, everybody wanted me to bring it. So I did, and... One of the girls in my class, her mom found that it was rated R and like flipped her shit and like basically threw enough of a fit that like we just we couldn't show it because she was so pissed. And like I'll never forget that I'm still mad about this to this day because you know like all these people could have seen it that couldn't. And it was so stupid. My mom even argued like it's rated R, but it shouldn't be rated R. Like back in the 80s, it may have been R, but by today's standards, like this is a very tame movie. So um, yeah, she's freaking ruining my phone over. Just over a letter, so <laughs> stupid, but yeah, so thanks, Todd. We appreciate you. Um, hopefully, we'll have you back as a guest on here. Uh, yeah, you're welcome anytime. Yep, absolutely. So, thank you. All right, we got another email from listener Noah Scott. Noah, thanks for uh, sending us some you, feedback. Noah. Noah said, Hello, as a very casual fan of the horror movie genre, I appreciated episode five a lot. You talked about Alien and Predator, which are two franchises that even a casual fan can appreciate. So I appreciated that. Keep up the great work, Noah. Thanks, um, Noah. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to uh, keep that in mind, and maybe occasionally we'll, we'll talk about some of those other franchises that are loosely horror. And... Yeah, I mean, because like I, I think you can hear in our conversation from Episode 5, I mean, there's, you know, I think there's a good debate. I think Alien, I think, is widely accepted as, as horror, Predator, not so much. But, I mean, that's what's cool, is I think... You know, people that are horror fans are definitely, it's a very niche thing. You know, if you if you just define yourself as a horror fan, you know, you love, you eat, sleep, and breathe that stuff. Whereas a lot of people, like, like horror movies or maybe more casual. And um, so I think it's fun sometimes to kind of reach out and just talk about some that, you know, are loosely horror or, you know, debate whether they are or whether they aren't. Because I think it's a pretty loose term, to be honest. Yeah. So. It, it, the lines are gray sometimes with movies like you don't know i mean you can consider one thing horror and someone else doesn't so. yeah i mean like the guest yeah like the guest bring. i mean 
it's kind of horror. I think you can make it horror if you want to, which for the purposes of this, I will. But you could also classify it as like a, like I'm a thriller. I'm totally on board, so you're bringing it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> if, if you don't love it, RJ, I'll, I'll, I will be shocked. Even though like, your taste is tough to tough to pinpoint at this point, I it's one of my favorite movies. I mean, it can't hurt to show him. I mean, yeah. Even if he doesn't like it, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, for sure. So that's all we have for uh, listener feedback and emails. But please, uh, anyone out there, send some feedback our way. The email is... Um, death stereo podcast at gmail.com uh, as you can tell we were pretty happy to hear from those three people and we would love to hear from those others who haven't sent anything in. and if you already have send more in yeah we appreciate it this kept me from having to create a fake email and a fake name and send in random thoughts and questions so, right you're not supposed to say that well you know just, he is uh, still working on catfishing rj that's, that's true <laughs> um, it's it's peeking behind the curtain so if you don't want to hear me answer my own questions please feel free to email in more, so we will appreciate you. All right, let's get on to our, our movies for the January movie night. So we did um, Candyman, The Wolfman, and 30 Days of Night this month, as we mentioned in previous episodes. Um, so we can go ahead and start off with Candyman, since that was our first movie that night. Um, I picked Candyman. This is one of my like all-time favorite horror movies. Definitely top five. Um, this was uh, directed by... Bernard Rose, and I know it looks like it says Bernard, but listening to, like, some of the special features, they all called him Bernard. I was so. kind of wondering when you said that, I was like, is he pronouncing Bernard wrong? No, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was about to, like, I just, like, when I was watching the special features, all the actors and um, writers were calling him Bernard, so I'm like, oh, well, I'm gonna make sure that when I right. say it on the Jeez. pod, I sound all fancy and Look pronounce it correctly. Um, yeah, so this was uh, directed by Bernard Rose, and <laughs> written by Clyde Barker, well, the movie wasn't written by Clive Barker. It's based on a short story by Clive Barker called The Forgotten. And there's some, uh, like, minor changes here and there. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, you may know Clive Barker from Hellraiser, Nightbreed, uh, Lord of Illusion. He's he's made, uh, he's also a writer, but he's also made a few movies there. Um, so, so, this movie came out in 1992. Um, quick, like, plot summary is uh so Candyman he's like a murderous soul with a hook for a hand um and he can be summoned by saying his name five times in front of a, a bathroom mirror um and in the movie he gets summoned by our lead character um Helen who is a graduate student and she researches like urban legends and monster myths and <clears throat> so she and and this takes place in like the uh like lower income urban areas of Chicago, which is called the Cabrini Green. And that's actually like a real place too in real life. And kind of go from there. Like she, uh, she summons Candyman and it goes on from there. All hell breaks loose. So this was like a first time watch for both Brent and RJ. Um, obviously I said, this is one of my favorites. So I had seen this. This is actually one I saw when I was a kid and it actually scared me. And that's what kind of got me to watch it again as an adult, and I just love it now. It's, to me, I mean, they may feel differently, we'll see, but to me this is a classic, and this is top five, I would say, in my, like, if I had to, like, make a list of my top horror movies. Um, I've got some, like, fun facts to read about it, but I'd rather go into, like, your guys' opinions first and have you talk, and then we'll get back to me. So, uh, RJ, why don't you go first? So this was the first time I'd even... I, I think I may have heard of Candyman before, but 
the one thing I can appreciate it is that there's really nothing like it. It was completely original. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed the storyline. I didn't quite understand it at times, but it's probably like anything else. You understand it when you watch it a second time. But overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it, I thought it was a good pick, TJ. Yeah, I thought... I had never seen it, and it was one of the... I don't want to call it a grail, but it was one of like the classics. You know, when you think about um, Halloween or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or um, like Fright Night, or it was, I think it's one of those franchises that I've heard a lot about, and I've just never missed it. And I think RJ brought up a good point about it being totally original. Uh, I mean, I, I can't think of. I know they're doing a remake of that with. Um, is it Jordan Peele? I think is the one doing it next year. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I was going to yeah, mention. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just there hasn't been anything like it, and I think he's definitely an interesting original character. One thing I was going to ask, and maybe you'll answer this in the trivia. Um, I'm assuming that it was kind of based on like the Bloody Mary thing. Yeah, kind okay. of. All right, that's what I thought. Um, what is, I think what is she like three times? You say her name. Five times. Oh yeah. No, he's five. Yeah, he's I think five. she's three. Yeah. I mean, so had a little spin on it, but um, uh, one thing that I really appreciated. Um, I'm a big music fan and i'm a big um, soundtrack fan and the sound of this movie was just i think like it was like almost like its own character like oh hell yeah i just felt like it it drew me in instantly and it, it kind of perked my ears up a little bit um and i think it's just special when a movie can do that because you know sometimes they'll just license actual actual songs out and get kind of lazy about it, and this, I mean, I'm assuming this was a totally original score, Oh, uh-huh. and it was just really, really well done, um, and I appreciated it, and, I mean, the character of Candyman was cool, his you know, voice, his, yeah, his voice, that was one thing I was going to mention, um, his voice was just, Fitting. like, the first time I heard it, you know, because you don't, you don't meet Candyman until well into the movie, 45, like, actually, I think it's 45 minutes, yeah, actually, in. the character of Candyman, and his voice, like, I don't even know how you describe it. Like, it was almost like it was, like, in today's terms, like, auto-tuned. It was, like, kind of auto-tuned and, like, the volume was kind of cranked up on it. And I think it was very ominous. Like, I was kind of taken aback when I first heard it. Like, oh. Like, I didn't I didn't know what he would sound like. I figured he was just a man. And to hear him speak like that, I was like, oh, wow. Like, this is, like, I don't know how to feel. It's kind of cool. That's um, his real voice, too. That's Tony Todd's That's his voice. actual Yeah. They didn't oh, yeah. mess with that at all. No, because... Um, even he's done like voiceover work and like uh, and voice acting and like it's that's just his voice. Like, really, it's just that cool. Wow. Like I, I don't know. It's sorry. Go ahead. No, he's. I mean, that's. I would never have guessed that. I. I mean, I figured they had to mess with at least the pitch or the tone or something. I mean, you're. They probably did. Like, there probably is some sound editing, but like his voice is that deep. Like. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Um. I mean, the. I think the story was. I mean, was like TJ said, was pretty straightforward and pretty believable. I mean. I think something interesting about this is this movie kind of touched on, um, like, I think it's very relevant today because it touched on, like, issues of race and issues of privilege, and this was made in 92, you said? Yeah. Which is crazy because I feel like back then it was, it wasn't cool to talk about and it was kind of ignored, I guess, or swept under the rug, whereas I can see why it's being remade today because it's very relevant and I think its messages kind of span test of time which i think is cool because it makes it um i think it ages it well you know because yeah. you can get into it in the themes um 
are kind of relevant today. Just really quick, though, like, they were actually worried about, you mentioned the race thing and the time. So, 92, you got to think back to 92, this was around Rodney King. And, um, I mean, some of you may not know, but so, like, Rodney King was, um, like, beaten and killed by cops. And the cops were, like, not found guilty and they were let go. And so there was, like, a bunch of race riots going on in L.A. and stuff at this time. So the director and the people who made this movie were kind of afraid to release it because they didn't want it to seem like... They didn't want, like, any... Oh, this is a racist movie and stuff. So I'm kind of glad that they still did because... Sorry, go ahead and back to what you were saying. No, I just wanted to throw that in there that, like, that was actually something that was a, a worry back when they were releasing the movie. Well, I don't... I'm really big against media censoring, like... I never want any media censored at all, whether it's a song, whether it's a TV show or a movie, because I feel like, you know, that's like an artist, that's their creative expression, and, and I feel like it cheapens media in general when it's censored. I mean, do you guys feel the same way, or? Yeah, because it's, I think that any time they cut out, I mean, I'm always surprised when I actually hear the real version of a song, um. I mean, it's different if it's they want to cut it out with it being offensive or whatever. But I mean, that's that's their story. That's their magic that they're that they've created. And they should have the right to be able to share that in its originality. Well, I can see like on the radio. I mean, you know, if you're playing on a regular radio station, you know, you don't want like vulgar like rap lyrics or, or whatever, which is, you know they're common these days, and you don't want your kids to hear that. I understand, but. I just, it's crazy how some other countries are more strict and like, you know, I've heard of video games being banned in certain countries or certain movies and like we had talked about in the Maniac episode how the original Maniac was like, it was one of like a video nasty and it was banned from certain theaters and I don't know, I just think it's funny, I, I guess it's just my personal feelings but like nothing really bothers me or like offends me and so I feel like, like I'm okay to see the art in its true form, and I don't want some diluted, watered-down version. And I kind of feel like, like, who is anybody to tell me, like, oh, you shouldn't see this, or, you know, you shouldn't hear this. Like, I just kind of want to see things how they are, and, you know, sometimes art is a good reflection and a mirror for our society, and sometimes we need to see that mirror. And I think this this movie's a good example of that. Um, and I, But I thought it was done well. I, I don't think it was painted as, like, you know hating on on white people like some people might think and i i don't know it it was aggressive at times but i don't think it was a bad thing at all it it was illuminating i think is a good word to put it there's there's certain parts of it like um i think there was was there three or four black uh, guys that followed the 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 main um three yeah oh in the bathroom there's four of them there four yeah because there's if you unless you count the main guy who so i mean how stereotypical is that that you know this Caucasian woman is getting, um, you know, beaten up by a group of uh, black guys. I don't think it was stereotypical. It was just like it was. It's realistic. not stereotypical, but it's, it's realistic. It's realistic, and going back to the apartment scene where um, they're just kind of going through that building, and they think most of them are abandoned, and um, the nurse, I believe she was a nurse with the baby, opens the door and has a pit bull ready to jump at them. Um, and basically just wants to know who they are, why they're there, what they're doing. And it, it's, illuminating is the best word that I can, I can, that I can use. I think she's a cop. I mean, it's, it's just, I think it paints a picture of that time in like inner city Chicago where, you know, it's, it's a quote unquote not great neighborhood. And these, you know, this white woman shows up with uh, her friend who's black 
and and they're dressed well yeah but they're immediately you know the residents are immediately like oh you're the cops you know you're the police and it's just it's it just shows you how almost like removed from regular society they they are and and, and i'm sure there still are places like that that you know like just you see a certain race and you're like whoa like you know what are you doing here well, yeah because like why would a white person be coming into that neighborhood yeah. if they're not a cop like, yeah because i mean the neighborhood i mean it was all the building was all mm. spray painted and run down i mean one of the characters had been murdered by Candyman in her apartment, and her apartment was ransacked and burned, and it was it was a shithole, and nobody had even like done anything about it. You know, there was like, there was like no intent to like foster life in that apartment. I feel like it was very, it was very suffocating, and I felt like it was a good spot for Candyman's like, lair, I guess, to be because, like, I just felt uncomfortable every time the characters were there. You know, like I feel like I was just waiting for something bad, even not with Candyman, like when. Um, uh, what's the main girl's Helen? Helen, Helen. Yeah, she gets beaten up by so this gang member, essentially the gang leader, takes Candyman's um persona persona just to strike fear into you know the residents and his enemies, and he even has a hook you know in his hand and all this, and it was just crazy how I don't know that how bad of a place that was, and I think it just personified the character himself. So, something you guys probably don't know, the Cabrini Green is, like, an actual, that was an actual place in Chicago. They went to the actual location to film there, and those guys that you see, other than the one that was um, pretending to be Candyman, um, those guys that you see out in front of the building standing around and the ones going through the hallway and hollering at them are actual real gang members that lived in Cabrini Green at that time. So they had to, like, go. They went to the set beforehand and, like, paid off a bunch of those gang members or had, like, um, like they paid them off or they, you know, like, to, to be a part of this movie. And then they brought cops, like, to be on the perimeters of the area in case any funny business went down. Yeah. And so they had, like, cop snipers and stuff all around just so they can film in this actual location. And so, like, Cabrini Green was a legitimate, like, um, lower-income housing, like, neighborhood in downtown Chicago during that time. And they, and I just thought it was cool that they filmed on location. Those were authentic, like, gang members that were there. Um, obviously, the woman with the dog and the little boy were actors, but as far as everyone else that you had seen just in the background, there was a legitimate residence of like Cabrini green. Can you imagine being like an actor, actress and filming a scene and needing like police snipers and police presence around just so you don't get fucked up. Like yeah. called, it's by called the residence. authenticity. That's, well, yeah, that's they had, the so like, one, like towards the end of their filming there, like somebody was on the roof of Cabrini green and like had shot, uh, they were shooting at the, the the vans for, like, the filming crew, and they had to, like, haul ass out of there and, like, <laughs> wrap up. Like, they were like, let's get out of here. Like, they didn't know, what, like, why, or they yeah. thought they had talked to everybody, and yeah. somebody was pissed that they were there and yeah. was shooting down at them. Yeah. Uh, the character of Candyman himself, I think, was cool. Um, I mean, he had, we find out his origin in the film, um, which he had, like, a bloody stump, and they had attached, you know, a hook for his hand, um, and we find out basically, long story short, of his his origin story, I guess you'd call it, is um, he was the son of a slave who ended up being very wealthy because his father developed a way for shoes to be manufactured quickly during the Civil War, and so Candyman became a very wealthy and very famous uh, artist, and he was commissioned by lots of people to paint uh, portraits of them, 
and he ends up being commissioned to paint a portrait of um, a white woman who he ended up falling in love with and having a child with. And when her father found out, he had some people paid, and Candyman was um, grabbed and beaten. His arm was cut off, and they put a hook in his spot, which I don't know why, like, what the point of that was. That was kind of goofy. Or the bees? Well, I mean, the bees, so they ended up covering him in honey and then unleashing bees on him, and he got stung to death. That's what killed him. Yeah, that's what killed him. The hook part, I guess, was kind of weird for me. Like, I feel like that was kind of like a... I mean, I see why they cut off his painting hand, because that's like, you know, the ultimate insult. Like, you know, if you were to, you know, cut somebody's vocal cords out who's a good singer, or... Um, you know, like, cut somebody's Achilles who's a good runner. Like, I get that, but I feel like the hook part was just kind of a plot device just to get him there, you know, with his with his weapon and stuff. But uh, when we see him later, he opens up his um, he opens up his coat, and he's got a rib cage full of bees, which was freaking sweet. And, uh, I don't know, he was, he was definitely cool. Like I said, I mean, he was, he's, like, dressed like a pimp, kind of, I felt like. Yeah, they, um, the costume was really good. Yeah, and, uh, he was a neat character. I thought, I don't know how you guys thought about it, but it was interesting how he was, once he came into contact with Helen, he was, like, essentially framing her for all these murders, and... It's because she, like, she, um, like, so he was, like, this legend in that neighborhood, and she kind of like, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? Like she discredited him, discredited, discredited it. So he, that's why he came after. He's like, well, now I gotta, I gotta make my like legend be true again. People need to believe. And, Which is almost like, and I just kind of compare it to like Freddy Krueger. How yeah. you know if people like he draws his power from people's fear and people believing right. in him. Um, so it was interesting that she, you know, she goes around the city and does these interviews and does all this stuff and kind of kicks up a hornet's nest of him. And she ends up saying Candyman five times in the mirror with her friend, and he doesn't appear. But it was funny how he appeared after she had, you know, discredited his name and people didn't fear him anymore. And, and you know, she ended up ruining her life in the process and getting thrown in the nut house. And, but, yeah, I just, I don't know, I, I, I thought it was cool. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Well, I mean, I can share some of the stuff yeah, I have. So, <clears throat> uh, so originally, like for Candyman, they wanted them to cast Eddie Murphy, Fuck, which is serious. Yeah, which they couldn't afford. <laughs> so they like that's when they ended up getting with Tony Todd, which amazing like accident I would say because yeah. he was perfect for that role. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine Eddie Murphy playing that because he's so goofy and like he he would be too funny. He couldn't it couldn't be afraid. He could of talk Eddie to Murphy. the bees. Like Doctor Doolittle. Oh God! Yeah, he could probably control the bees with his voice. So, uh, yeah, I, just, I wanted to share that because I found that interesting, and I can't imagine anyone but Tony Todd playing that role. Yeah. No. Um. So the bees that they used on the movie were real. They were bred specifically for the movie. Hmm. Um. They needed to make sure that the bees were only twelve hours old, so that they looked like they were like mature bees, but their stinger wouldn't be powerful enough to do any real damage. That's smart. Yeah. Um, so they had, like, an expert on, on set the whole time. Um, so Tony Todd actually had to put those bees in his mouth for that scene. Oh, my crazy. God. So Tony Todd, they were they literally poured the bees into his mouth, and he had to shut his mouth and keep them in there until they had a, a guard and that blocked off his throat so they wouldn't go down his throat. So he literally that. kept them in his mouth until that scene. Um and they had, like, a suction machine that they would use to get the bees off the actors. Um, he was... So, I guess the statistic that I looked up online, he was stung 23 times during the span of the trilogy. Which is funny, because they were supposed to, like... 
at the age that they were, they weren't supposed to sting, but I guess they didn't like being in his mouth or, like, on him as much. So, like, between the span of the three movies, he was stung, like, 23 it's times. It's not a lot, though. I feel like it would have been way more. Just because I feel like, you know, in every movie there's multiple takes of every scene. I'm just surprised it's only 23 times. I mean, right. I wouldn't want to be stung 23 times. Don't get me wrong. Especially in your mouth. Just think about that. Like, and, and to not, like, how do you not overreact to that? Right. Yeah. Bite the shit out of those bees. And then... Uh, Virginia Madsen, who played Helen, she's actually allergic to bees, and she had told the director that from the start, and they kind of, like, not, they were like, no, like, we'll get you tested, because we don't know that you really are, and <laughs> she was, like, kind of annoyed by that, so she went and got tested, and they found out she was allergic to bees, so they actually had, um, uh, EMT workers on standby, just in case she had any kind of reaction, so she was, she was, like, committed enough in that role to, like, do this with those bees, while she, knowing she's allergic to them. I'm surprised that she, I mean, I'm sure she read the script beforehand. I'm surprised she would even agree to that role, knowing that, unless she didn't, but knowing that, like, that's part when of the discussion came up. Well, okay. no, that's when the discussion came up that she she mentioned to him, like, hey, I don't know about this because I'm allergic to uh, bees, and he had her get tested. I'm surprised that they didn't just want to get somebody else, like, you know, just a different actress. I mean, because I don't, I don't know much from Virginia Madsen. I mean, I Michael Madsen's obviously a freaking stud. But I don't know much from her, so I'm just surprised they didn't just, like, yeah, this is too much work. She's a pretty big actress, I would is say. She? Like, if you look at her IMDb. Um, yeah. But they actually, no, the director's wife was supposed to play Ellen, huh. but she got pregnant, and uh, Virginia Madsen's actually, like, good friends with the director and his wife, so they she was like, please let Virginia play this role. Oh, perfect. Um, I'm going to try to run through a couple more of these so that we can get moving on to the next movie, but... Um, uh, so, oh yeah, I wanted to mention this too. Um, the director decided to use like real hypnosis on Helen um, or on Virginia Madsen when the scenes come up where she's kind of like under Candyman's spell, um, kind of like in that daze, you know what I'm talking about, when mm -hmm. she was like, so every, like, every time she was like kind of like taken over by him when he would show up, they actually hypnotized um, Virginia Madsen. So she was, like, legitimately hypnotized, like, during those scenes. So that's why it looks so, like, she's kind of just, like, out of it and, like, in mode of that. So I guess that's a good advertisement for hypnotism, then, if you want to find out if it's real. Talk to Virginia Madsen. But she, like, yeah. She, I mean, I think that she did, they did that for, like, a number of the scenes, and then eventually she kind of, like, said, okay, that's enough. Like, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool, though. Um, uh, crap, let me see here really quick. Uh... Yeah, like, uh, I listened to some of the commentary on the, the Blu-ray. Uh, the director, like, they were kind of forcing him to make that a franchise. Like, he wanted it to be a one-and-done. So they told him, like, as the first one was wrapping up, that they were making a sequel, and they gave him a shot at, like, writing a screenplay. And he had one written up with Helen being, like, the Candyman of the next movie, which they tease at the end of this one. And they, they shit on that screenplay, and they scrapped it and brought in a new director and a new writer for the hmm. sequel. So it's kind of like, from the start, they were like, we're going to make this a franchise, and like, which the director, uh, Bernard Rose, like, didn't really necessarily want to do that, um, which I think the first one's obviously the best, and it's the most effective, and they kind of just, as studios do, took it and ran with it. I think that makes, that makes a lot of franchises suffer, in my opinion, because I feel like, I mean, the movie machine is always running, and I feel like anytime there's a surprise hit or a hit that's been planned forever... You know, they literally milk it to death, and I have a huge problem with that because I've had multiple franchises that I love. You know, their legacy has been ruined by just crap, watered-down sequels. Like, Dumb and Dumber, you know, the both sequels were terrible. The Lost Boys, 
we never speak about the two sequels, but they technically There were exist. sequels? Yeah, exactly. Good, yeah, good point. But, I mean, sometimes, obviously, you know, the second and third movie or fourth movie are, are better. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, Friday the 13th, my favorite movie is the sixth one. But I just feel like sometimes some movies don't need to be turned into a franchise or have a sequel at all. Sometimes they're just good on their own, and it's just best to leave those characters where they are. But if there's money to be made, you know it's going to happen, so... Well, the Mummy movie that we, um, I, don't, I think that was last? Yeah, last movie. yeah, the last movie night. I mean, that's a perfect example of that. The first one, I mean, that's one of my all-time favorites. And then the sequel, not exactly on the same plane. And the third one is just god-awful. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's just a domino effect. Smoke it for what it's worth. It's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing, really quick, and then we can move on to the next movie. But uh, Brent kind of touched on this earlier. They are uh, in the works of remaking this movie. Uh, produced by Jordan Peele, and it looks like they do have a director uh, tied to it now. Her name is Nia DaCosta. Um, I'm not really familiar with her. I kind of looked her up on IMDb just to be prepared for this pod, and it looks like she's only done one movie called Little Woods. Um, came out in 2018, and it's a crime drama. Um, and it looks like they're still going to film it in Chicago again, and um, it's set to film spring of 2019 and hopefully a theatrical release in summer of 2020. Uh, no casting news yet, but I'm hoping that they wise up and cast Tony Todd because he can totally pull it off, I think. Or at least have, have a role in it. I mean, it, you know. Yeah. There, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. all right, I can get off my pedestal now. Actually, uh, really quick, I forgot we need to do our ratings on this one. and then we'll, Yeah, we'll move on to the next movie after that. Um I'll just start with mine really quick because I I talked highly of it. I said it was in my top five. So I think it's a no-brainer that, for me, it's a five out of five. Oh, wow. Um, This is, well, yeah, this is, like, top five for me. I don't know why I would give a five to something that's not in my top five and not this. So Um, I personally don't have any gripes about this movie. And it's, like I said, it's a favorite. So it's a five out of five for this guy. RJ? Um, I would give it a... 3.5 um it was had a lot of suspense it had a lot of originality um i mean some of the facts that tj just talked about i mean that really to to really make a movie that authentic is pretty impressive um yeah i would say it was pretty pretty good solid movie yeah um I, i i definitely enjoyed it um i gave it a three myself um i definitely thought there were a lot of good things with it um you know, I, I think you can look at any movie and find some plot holes here or there, like I said, about the hook or, um, you know, certain things. But, uh, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, it's one that I'd like to go back and watch again just because I feel like it's one that would kind of repay a rewatch. And I think there's things you'd pick up and catch that you may not have seen the first time. So um, definitely enjoyed it. would definitely recommend it and watch it again. So... Um, yeah, it was a good one. Maybe you could check out the sequel. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd give the sequel a shot. The third one's, like, really bad, but, like, it doesn't hurt to watch it, because yeah. we all have different, like, opinions on things. Sure, so. yeah, yeah, it's definitely good. So, yeah, so that's our thoughts on um, Candyman, and we all would uh, would recommend it if you haven't seen it by now. So we'll uh, switch it over to RJ and talk about The, the Wolfman. Wolf Not to be confused with The Wolf Cop. And, and just for reference, The Wolfman does have nards. He does, and he doesn't fight crime, which that's a whole other issue, but whatever. (laughs) I can already tell what this one's going to get with Brent. So, um, what I wanted to kind of do, everybody, I'm sure everybody knows what the Wolfman is. Even if they haven't seen the movie, they know a little bit of the storyline or or what it is. 
I wanted to give some actual um, color to the story of how the movie came about, um, how they chose Lon Chaney. And to start off, to, to even how the movie originated, um, so in, Euro in European folklore, the idea of the werewolf was intimately linked with the idea of the vampire. And that goes back to Bram Stoker, who combined both legends and Dracula. Um, so he actually gave the vampire the ability to change into a wolf and a bat. And Universal Studios had already had the idea to tinker with it, but um, you know that's what originally came about. And after having success with Boris Karloff and the Mummy and Frankenstein, they were eager to give him another signature role. So um, they started playing with a screen story called Wolfman, which was originally created in 1931 by a French director named Robert Florier. Um, originally, it was set in the Bavarian Alps. The story is about a young boy named Christophe who is kidnapped and raised by wolves who had slaughtered his family. And he becomes a werewolf upon his rescue. So the story includes the boy's transformation in a confessional. And this was eventually viewed as too extreme by Universal Studios, who kind of feared a reaction by the Catholic Church. So it was benched for a while. And instead, the studio went a different route with The Werewolf of London, which came out in 1935. And it originally began as a type of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But as the movies continued to play out, eventually it started showing characteristics of Florier's Wolfman as well. So, in the early 40s, the film was revived by a screenwriter named Kurt Simak. Um, Simak used only the title of Robert Florier's original Wolfman, and he created his own mythology out of it. His approach is unique in the fact that he's tr he tries to give it some scientific fact. Um, Siedmach, who is Jewish, obviously, he escaped from Hitler's Germany and was very much aware of the real-world significance of people marked by death by the sign of a star. And, uh, he was a German Jew who had successfully, who had a successful career before having to flee Germany. And it is constructed as a kind of Greek tragedy, the, the movie that he made, in the respect that, um, you know, the gods are telling a man his fate... And so when Larry Talbot, who is the Wolfman, when the moon comes out, he knows that he has to become a murderer. And you can kind of see the parallel with the Germans, who Siedmach in his autobiography calls wolf people. He doesn't refer to all Germans, but only the Germans who became Nazis. The ones who turned from very likable people into monsters. Hmm. I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, we see Lon Chaney in this movie... I mean, he, he comes home from, I didn't really catch what he was coming home from, but he came home to, like, his family estate, and he's this, like, you know, like, nice, charming guy or whatever, and you just slowly see him, once he's bitten by the werewolf, you just see him descend into, like, hysteria and kind of madness, and, you know, before he even knows what's going on, he freaks out, and he starts to realize, you know, like, what he's doing and what's happening, and he's just... Um, goes from being, you know, a good guy, and he knows at night, like, I'm gonna be, become this monster. So, yeah, it was kind of cool. I like how he, uh, how, how it all came about, though. He was creeping on the lady across the way with his telescope. Yes! And then he, he basically went out in the woods with her, like, just to, like, kind of, you know, charm her a little, and so it's kind of funny how it all came about, like, well, all for... Men were more forward back then. I know, it's but just, it's just... Women like, were more receiving back then. I don't know about looking at someone across the way with the telescope being forward, but... It is. That's something I will, an issue I have. I'll, I'll get to eventually <laughs> when we talk about it, but I, it is interesting how 
I mean, just the time period, the time differences about how people were more trusting and more forward, and now I think people are so skeptical of strangers, as they should be, from just watching the news and seeing the crap we see. But it was, it was, uh, it's just funny. It's just like a little time capsule. Back yeah, then. exactly. I didn't mean for that to like take up my time of like discussing my thoughts on the movie, you're but no more from you. I, it's hard to like. It's hard to say. This is such a classic, you know. Yeah. Like, um, it's it's hard to really hate on it. But yeah. sorry, go ahead. So the man who is given credit for actually creating the Wolfman is uh, legendary makeup artist Jack Pierce. Um, and Pierce actually got his start with Universal when. Um, silent film star Lon Chaney known as the man of a thousand faces who created all of his makeup himself virtually walked off of set on the film and um, this was the man who laughs and after Jack Pierce kind of swooped in and filled the void and helped make that movie a hit Pierce quickly became a legend creating the makeup for other such films as Frankenstein and the Mummy and in court in case some of you don't know um Lon Chaney Jr. is the main character, is the main um, actor in this movie. He's he had a f- man? Yeah. Yes. Huh. He had a father who was Lon Chaney, who was the Man of a Thousand Faces, who I was just talking that about. That was the Phantom, right? That so, was the original Phantom? Yes. Yeah. So Chaney actually had a son named Creighton, who's Lon Chaney Jr., and he wanted to act, but his father was adamantly against it, and he didn't start until his father actually passed away. And Creighton first began acting under his own name, and then under studio pressure, later changed it to Lon Chaney Jr. And uh, he got his first main role with with Ghost of Frankenstein, but was given his own role a year later in The Wolfman as Larry Tolbit. Seedmock originally wanted to give it to Boris Karloff, of course, but uh, for the main role, but it was given to Lon Chaney Jr. because Karloff had another assignment. But uh, back to the makeup, Jack Pierce was known for not liking to use rubber appliances, which is kind of funny because a lot of rubber was used in this film. I'm sure you guys noticed the rubber claws, <laughs> the rubber feet, the rubber nose, sure which, you can, which you can clearly see the outline of the nose. But um, that was actually one reason why Jack Pierce got booted out of Universal Studios, was because he did, he did not keep up with the time. Mm-hmm. But... Um, what I really liked about it is that Pierce didn't try to make realistic wolf features. Instead, he just made the makeup so that it only suggested wolf features, allowing Chaney to retain facial control and expression and actually give him some, I guess, color as a character. Well, yeah, I feel like it gave him emotions instead of just putting a guy behind a mask. I think it was, especially it's crazy for back when it was made, you know, so long ago that you think they would have just kind of stuck him under a mask if they could, but I, that was a smart idea because it allowed him, you know, even just using his eyes to just convey emotions and convey, like, feelings kind of, and more than just kind of sticking him behind, you know, some piece of rubber or whatever, and he he was only body movement, so that was, was a good, good choice. The, the makeup and costumes in this movie are, like, my favorite part. I think that's, like, five out of five, just, like, the costumes and the makeup thing. well and that's the interesting thing the the makeup i guess was really extremely uncomfortable and there's even a picture of um um chaney was a very he wasn't a large man but he was a lot bigger than jack pierce jack pierce was kind of like a twig and there's a picture of chaney sitting in the chair and jack pierce applying this yak hair on his face and he's singeing it he's gluing it on and he must have done something because lon chaney had his fist cocked back like he was just gonna <laughs> knock him for a loop 
But it actually took six, six hours to put the makeup on and three hours to take it off. And um, going back to the actual movie, I mean, the as far as cast, you really can't go wrong here. It has legendary actors such as Claude Rains, Bela Lugosi, um, Evelyn Ankers, and a one of my favorite people was actually Maria Uspenskaya, who this was her first appearance on the big screen. And she was one of the main characters that I really think just made this film. As a whole, the film is kind of like a Neverland. You never, you never really know what time period it's in. Everybody kind of walks around in suits. Some people drive cars. Some people have wagons with horses drawing them. Um, the overall atmosphere is very unique, you know, with the woods, with the town. Um, and the role of Larry Talbot in and of itself is very unique in that Lon Chaney Jr. is the only actor to actually play him in every sequel that came after that. That's pretty cool. I do like the cast. Like, I feel like we see Bela Lugosi and, and Lon Chaney Jr. in a lot of these Universal Monster mm -hmm. movies, but I, I also want to talk about Claude Rains. Like, I think he's a really good actor. I think like, he was my favorite actor. Claude? In yes. He's my favorite, and, like, I like him a lot in, um, in, in, in the other Phantom, the newer one, and like the one that came after mm -hmm. Lon Chaney's and um I liked him in Invisible Man and I just I, he's a really good actor did you say Klaus is it Claude Claude <laughs> so funny I know but um, going off of one more thing that Brennan actually started to talk about the Candyman um in films like this there's actual real music there's real composers that are in the background and I mean this is considered a B film but hmm. there were they were still A composers um the actual Wolfman theme itself is supposed to have a connotation of evil to it. It was known as the Devil's Interval. There's like a, a tri-tune that hits every time he shows up, or when he starts to change, or whenever he's attacking. And it was known as the Devil's Interval, and the composers throughout time have used that to represent something evil when whenever they're doing music. or uh, I mean, the, the tone itself, I think, goes back to medieval times. Yeah, I thought... Um... I mean, I, I don't know, I enjoyed it. I, I, this was not a first watch for me. Uh, I had watched it originally as a kid. We had an area where I live. Um, it's called the Haunted Woods. And it was basically, I mean, it was around every October. And um, you would walk back in these woods. And, you know, they had people with chainsaws. And they had, you know, a haunted trail set up. And one of my favorite memories, though, is before your ticket time was called, they had... Um, stacks of hay bales you'd sit on and they had a big projector and they literally would just show old black and white universal movies on repeat and i remember sitting there and just like ate it up and loved it um the wolfman was always one of my favorite characters so um i mean this is a first modern i guess watch for me like as an adult really taking it in um we kind of mentioned earlier one thing that i was just kind of surprised about and it, it's just funny because of like the time back when it was was that you know, the character of the Wolfman, before he gets bitten, you know, he's working on this telescope in his house, and he just happens to be sighting it, and he's looking into the town, and he sees this woman in her room, and she's not naked or changing or anything, because this was made, you know, when it was, but he sits and, like, stares at her, which, you know, it's nothing wrong with that, that's fine, whatever, but then he, like, immediately goes and sees the shop she's working in, because she, like, lives above this, her dad's shop, and he walks in, and he's, like, hardcore hitting on her, and he's, like, talking about things like, oh, you know, 
I know you like these earrings because I saw them on you in your room. And he's like talking about characteristics of her room. And it's just crazy how like back then that was probably and so her expression normal. in my room. Yeah, like but like, but it wasn't an expression of like um like repulsed and like how dare you. It was like surprise. Oh really? It's just it's funny like again this being a caps one time like it was so normal back then. Whereas I feel like today that's so freaking creepy and like so like weird and people would freak out like. A girl could find a guy attractive, but if you had somehow been in this situation and were, like, talking about things that, you know, you shouldn't know. Like, in you know, in Maniac, how we talked about how Elijah Wood had a couple, had a character that, you know, if he had just stuck to his story, he would have been fine. But he slipped up and let her know things that he shouldn't have known. And it's just funny how that was, like, so glossed over back then. But today, I mean, people would, like, freak out about that kind of thing, about privacy being spied on and stuff. Well, I mean, even think of even think of the whole plot with him hitting on her and she's engaged. I mean, this is back in the back in the forties, so I mean, it's a fairly religious time where people take marriage fairly seriously, and to actually have her, you know, by the end of the movie, um, the character being played by Evelyn Anchors actually wants to run away with Larry Tolbin, and uh, who's the Wolfman? And, you know, it's just, it's interesting. Each of these movies is, um, like Brent said, a little capsule in time. Um. Well, it's funny, and I found that funny because, like, so she she meets him, and he's, like, creepily, like, hardcore hitting on her. Like, we'll take no for an answer. Like, she says no 10,000 times, he's like, all right, I'll see you at eight. And then he shows up to pick her up, and she's, like, dressed like she's expecting him. Mm -hmm. And they go out a few times, and it was just funny how, like, they showed her fiancé, like, twice... And then she's, like, with her fiancé, but, like, totally entertaining Larry. And, like, I'm just kind of waiting to see, like, which option is better. Which, again, is funny for that time period. Like, you think people would be committed to one person and, like, wouldn't have eyes for anybody else. But apparently the Wolfman is uh, pretty charming in his wolf himself. Because she, uh, she was all for it. Even when she found out that he was the Wolfman, she, like, didn't care at all. Which was interesting. And um, I don't have a lot to, like, complain about with this movie. Like, it's it's pretty solid like it's a classic the only thing i do want to say about like the universal monster movies that i've noticed since you've been showing them to us is it kind of sucks that they're as short as they are like i almost wish that they were a little longer and like we got more time with like the monsters than we do like this one i want to say it was like just over an hour and it would have been kind of cool to see um like larry as the wolf more like out in the woods like prowling and like attacking and stuff so but i mean that's the magic about some of these movies is that it's you know with some movies today there's overkill um, it is kind of somewhat depressing that these movies all end badly and that the monster always dies, whether they're good, they're bad. But, um... Spoiler, jeez. Yeah, but my, my complaint is almost like a compliment in itself because I'm wanting more, so, like, it's... But that, that goes back to the magic of them. So I can, I, can, I can completely agree with what you're saying, but i think that was what they were trying to do at the same time it's just difficult in today's day and age when we have a lot of like um like television has become what it is nowadays and like i want more development and time with characters so like when you go back and watch a classic movie like this you're not getting that and it's just kind of like it's either like oh i don't want it now because it's it's just not enough or it just leaves you want more i don't know i think our expectations are higher and i think it's i think it's a tough watch honestly to watch to be to be around in the times we are now and to be spoiled by excellent television. This is the golden age of television by far. I mean, there are TV shows and series that are better than a lot of movies these days. 
And so to have that and to have the movies with all the technological advancements and being able to flesh out characters and stuff, I think it's hard to go back sometimes to people that didn't grow up on these or didn't weren't exposed to them early and justify how good they are because, you know, like, I guarantee you, like, young kids these days, unless they're, like, a very special kid, watching the Universal movies, I feel like... I feel like they may not like them because the black and white throws some people off and the fact that, like you said, I mean, they're all right around an hour and some change. And then I feel like, cause I feel like right when it starts to ramp up, it, it ends. Um, but right. I think it's just tough cause you, you all, you do want more. I mean, especially if it's a character you like, like the Wolfman or Dracula or Frankenstein, right. you know, you, you want a little bit more. And Brent, remind me, uh, when we're talking about your movie, remind me to come back to this TV conversation because I have a really like good point to make about your movie okay. when it comes yeah. to TV. Got it. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, I, I, I liked it. This was, uh, I mean, I would consider it an absolute classic. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I always, I always loved the Wolfman, Dracula, and um, Frankenstein's probably my favorite, but I, I, I like the rest and the creature as well. So. And it's kind of like what we were talking about with the zombie movies earlier when I said night and dawn are the zombie movies. Like, this is the werewolf movie. Like, say what you want. There's a lot of great ones that come after this, but this is what started it all. Like, this is, this is like what people probably shoot for when they're making a werewolf movie. Oh, yeah. But it also goes back to what you talked about earlier. I, I can't remember the actor's name, the guy who played Candyman. Oh, are Tony you, Todd. Yeah, how are you saying how, you know, Eddie Murphy, they wanted to give it to Eddie Murphy? Well, it's the same thing with um, with the Wolfman. Um, Seedmock wanted to get Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff was the, you know, the man back then. Oh, wow, yeah. And I really couldn't picture this movie with Boris Karloff because in each of his videos, he's very... In The Mummy or in Frankenstein, he's very somber. He's very um, dark. Right. Even if he's not supposed to be, just how that, that's just how he came off. And you know, I just couldn't picture him being able to execute this role efficiently. And I, if he would have gotten it, I definitely don't think he would have been able to be the same character every time. Yeah. Like Lon Chaney Jr. was. Yeah. So I guess we'll uh, go right into the ratings. Um, I'll start off... Uh, this is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I definitely give it a solid five. Um, as far as atmosphere, casting, dialogue, plot, um, you, it, like I said earlier, the setting is you know it's it's, it's even comical because you don't know what time period you're you're in. You don't know. It's it's a very entertaining movie. I hope that you. I'm glad you said that about the time period and about not being sure of what what era and stuff you're in because that that will play very heavily into my movie choice for next month so i hope that you noted that notice that i hope you appreciate it because you know with your taste and we're trying to figure that out now it's tough to gauge what you'll like and what you won't but the fact that you like that i think will at least help a little bit for the next one so um just just keep that in mind when we watch it uh i'll go next um i actually like this a little bit less than i had initially liked it as a kid um because i felt like i wanted to see more wolfman like kind of what tj said um and i feel like i just remember him being more vicious i guess as i was a, a kid um but it's still it's a it's a three for me um i still enjoy it it's still a classic um the sequel where the wolfman fights frankenstein is really good hopefully we watch that at some point because I, I very much like that um but i mean you just can't mess with the classics it's I think he's one of the I'd I'd call it the Mount Rushmore of the Universal monster films for sure, and this was 
this was the start. So, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. It's definitely one that, uh, I mean, I'd revisit again and, and show some people and just, you know, kind of see what they think. Uh, so I think when I'm like rating this movie, I'm comparing it to the other universal monster movies I've seen or, uh, ones that RJ has shown us because it's hard to put this up against something from now, like from today Mm -hmm. and, and compare it to that as far as rating goes. Um, this the Wolfman's probably one of my uh, like one of my favorites of the Universal Monster movies. Um, when I'm com- comparing it to the ones we've watched, it's I like it less than um, like uh, like Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, it's it's a classic, and this like I said, this is the werewolf movie. I want I gave this one a three point five out of five. Which if you looked at like my other ratings for some of the other Universal Monster movies, that's that's not bad at all. Like that's actually really good. Um, I would recommend seeing this, especially if you like, if you like American Werewolf in London, The Halloween, like some of these modern like werewolf movies, you gotta pay respects to like the guy who started it all. It's cool to see the origins. I mean, this is like, not an origin story, but this is, you know, this is where the sea was planted. I mean, how many freaking werewolf movies do we have? I mean, more than we could even name. I mean, there's some that pop up every day. So I mean, it's, it's not as good as Twilight, but it's like, it's good. It really what is, you know? It's, I mean, I would tough. rather watch Jacob take it's a just, shirt off and... I don't Excuse me, God, while I go run to the bathroom <laughs> I don't and know who Jacob the is. toilet. I'm not going to lie, yeah, but I've never... I'm not going to lie, I do know who he is. We know what, we know what TJ uh, pauses when he watches the right. video. I have a wife. Like, <laughs> he loves the glitter. He loves... The Everybody has a cover story to get. She likes Twilight. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. She or you? Yeah, so uh, another movie I think we would all very much recommend. So uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's uh, it's one of the classics. So now we're done. Bye. See you. Now we will move into <laughs> our final film of the evening. Uh, this was my choice, and um, I when I thought about this one, I felt like you know obviously we did this in January and it's cold outside um, today. Freezing as we're recording it. In some parts of the area we live, it's as cold or colder than as Siberia or Antarctica, so it would have been better to watch today. But um, it's it's a movie that's basically, I mean, it's about isolation. It's about um, just just fear itself, I think. Um, so essentially, Thirty Days a Night is takes place in a town, a real town called Barrow, Alaska. Um, and it's one of the most, um, northern parts of the U.S. Uh, it's perpetual cold. Um, it's pretty much the Arctic up there. And so we meet, uh, Josh Hartnett, who plays the town sheriff. And basically, these vampires decide to come to Barrow because in the film, once a year, the town goes into 30 night of darkness and there's no sun so obviously you know you couldn't think of a better place or time for um for vampires so um we get to see you know the struggle of you know the vampires attacking and then the you know the people in the town obviously don't know what they are or believe what they are and kind of freaking out and then we just get to see the journey from there so um this is one of my i'd call modern favorite horror films um you know, I think as horror fans, sometimes the genres kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit, and it's had a lot of ups and downs, and I feel like, you know, a lot of people think that modern horror is not very good, 
because there's a lot that comes out, but there's not a lot that's very good or worth it, I would say, at all. So um, this is one that surprised me. Um, this movie actually scared me, to be honest. Um, and I, that, that, that's what the director was going for. Um, you know, they wanted to make a movie that actually, a vampire movie that scared people again and not just, you know, we hadn't seen Twilight at this point, I don't believe, but, um, you know, a lot of vampire films were funny or, you know, had some comic relief and, you know, they wanted to kind of get this back to, like, you know, the actual horror and scary roots. So um, it worked on me because, you know, I, I saw this in theaters and it just, when you watch the film, you know, it's in this cold, unforgiving environment and I feel like that is almost kind of a character itself because you know these characters are living in a place that you know most people wouldn't want to live in and during the you know the 30 days of of continuous night I mean the town has like what it had like five five thousand and some change I think in it before this and then when every most people leave during this time because um and it's actually a real kind of phenomenon up in Barrow is that some of the residents, you know, get depressed and, and drink, and then there's a risk of suicides because, you know, I can't imagine 30 days of just straight darkness. You know, I feel like your body wouldn't know, like, what, you know, up was up or down or left or right. Like, I just feel like you'd be very disoriented. So I think that was definitely something that kind of created a little bit of isolation and the scariness. And then, I mean, the vampires were vicious. I mean, I, they were like wild animals and the way they attacked and you know these these weren't vampires that were riding motorcycles on the beach and trying to get you know teenagers to join them i mean these they were brutal killers and uh i mean the way they attacked was was just crazy and um i mean i'll let you guys kind of talk a little bit about it because i've i've got plenty to say on it yeah i overall like i like this movie um I'll talk about some of my pros. Uh, I liked how I like how it, the location and setting of it being in the cold, like snowy, and it's like a small contained location. So like the winter setting's nice. I think horror movies was was like the small contained locations work really well. Um, I like that we cared about some of the characters, like Josh Hartnett's character and um, his wife. Um, Melissa George. Melissa George, yeah. Um, you kind of like you kind of wanted to see them like. Uh, like reconcile the differences um i like the vampires uh especially uh, marlo like the lead guy like he's really creepy the the style that they used on the vampires are really good um so i think it's cool that they made scary vampires again it's like, not easy to do i mean it's really not um and then i like something that like you didn't mention that i kind of like with this movie and i don't know if you guys felt this way but you don't really, like, fully understand what's going on at the beginning. It's kind of almost like, as the story unfolds, we're, like, characters in the movie. So, like, we're kind of learning what's going on with, like, Josh Hartnett and them. Like, oh, what are, what are they doing? Who are they? Like, why are they here and stuff? So, like, it's kind of a cool um, structure, I guess, that you would call it, like, that they put together for this movie. I never thought about that. And that's actually, like, I really like that because thinking back to how it unfolds now... It, it is cool, because I, I feel like, you know, in most movies as the audience, you know, you're kind of, like, peeking behind the scenes, and you know what's happening, and that's when people are like, hey, idiot, don't go into that room, or don't go up the stairs. Right. But you're right, with with this, you're, we're kind of being led along just a little bit ahead of the cast and, and the characters, and it was cool to 
just be a part of it and kind of see like, oh shit, you know, this is what's happening. Like coming to reality of it almost. Yeah. Um, I just have a couple like cons, nothing too major. Um, not enough Ben Foster. Yeah, uh, Foster that guy, good. his acting in this movie was like out of the park. Yeah. And um, he kind of died pretty early on. <laughs> like, I mean, to me, it felt like it was like, not yeah. early, but, like, he wasn't in it as long as I thought he should have been. Well, I think, I mean, even, you know, if you watch the film and see when his character dies and how he goes, I think he thought, he thought he'd be around longer. I mean, he thought, so he was essentially... because yeah, he wanted to be a vampire. He was doing the, the vampire's bidding, and he came into the town, and he destroyed, you know, some... He destroyed, like, satellite phones. Right, because he, he wanted all, immortality. Yeah, well, he killed all the sled dogs, and he basically, like, helped during the daylight to dismantle everything in the town's communications and their transportation to basically make it to where the vampires had easy pickings and it was fish in a barrel. And his ultimate reward, so he thought, was going to be a vampire and be immortal, which... Which, I get, like, the character serves its purpose. Like, uh, Marlo says, you know, I think he says something along the lines of, oh, well, he expected this and he's not getting it. Like, some kind of sinister says, like, thing. The, the things they believe. Yeah, they and, like, that's cool, but, like, I guess where I was coming from when I said they could have more Ben Foster was, like, if he had turned somehow, and, like, you know, at the end of the movie, they burn everything down, the vampires are all taken care of. Like, what if he would have, like, survived, and he could have been, like, the Marlowe of, like, a sequel? Yeah. Like, that would have been sweet, but I yeah. know it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. But um, just a couple more things before um, I let RJ give his thoughts um, on cons. Uh, I told you to remind me to bring this back up. Mm-hmm. I think that something like this would work better as a tv series and like i don't hate this movie i like it a lot but i think with like the time frame that it like they tried to cover 30 days in the mm-hmm. one movie and like with these good characters like i mentioned you could you could totally like make that a series like like a walking dead type thing and yeah. i i think that they still could like they if they wanted to spin it off of this movie like i think it could be a good series but i almost feel like a little more time like i said this about the wolfman too like i think this movie could have used more time or spread out with more movies or a series see i don't think that's even a con i just think this could make for a good series to be honest i, I think that it, it, it could it is a it's a pro and a con because like it's a con in the sense that the pacing of the movie feels rushed because they could spread it out and make it more like hot better quality because they have more time yeah. But it's, like you said, it's still a pro because you're you're wishing for more. Yeah, which is what you want anything, really. Last thing, this is nitpicking, though. So, take this with a grain of salt. But I noticed that a little inconsistency throughout the movie that the vampires in some attack scenes would move at, like, super speed. And then there's other scenes when they should have been moving at super speed and, like, they didn't. So it's like they almost, like, forgot that they were doing that in the movie. So, like, that kind of bugged me, but it's like, again, that's nitpicking. Like, that doesn't make the movie less enjoyable. It's just, like, you do notice it, though. You're kind of like, what's going on? Like, what? That was a complaint that I had actually read a few times online of people said. And I, I think it's, it's one of those things that it's a plot device because, you know, when, when the vampires are picking off, you know, random characters we don't know and don't care about. They're fast. They're fast and they're vicious and what they should be. <laughs> but obviously when there's characters we know and love, you know, they need that little extra time to right, get away. Right, 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 right. And so I think, you know, I, I, I agree with you there. I mean, it, there's definitely varying degrees of their attacks, which, you know... It, but it doesn't devalue the movie. It's, yeah. Like I said, it's kind of nitpicking. Yeah, but I mean, it, it was there. I mean, I agree. It was. There were some convenient times when they should have gotten away. Right. Obviously. <laughs> um, but I think... But part of that, too, was like... So my favorite scene in the entire movie and i think that this is 
was really, really effective was once night hit and once the vampires launched their, I'd call it a Blitzkrieg-style attack, when they oh, just yeah. all out just massacred most of the town, we have this gorgeous aerial shot where the camera's being drugged along the main road in Barrow, and we're seeing, you know, people <laughs> shooting the vampires. We're seeing vampires jump from left and right and everywhere. We're seeing people drug off. And it was like this, it was like just the battle scene of, you know, the people coming to terms with the vampires right away and, and just the the viciousness. And I, I feel like that shot was just beautiful. And it just, I don't know, I just felt like it was such a highlight because you just got to see so much violence and so much um, brutality and action all rolled into one. And it was, it was just a neat shot to see it all strung together and done. And you just kind of see this, this town's, like, immediate descent into just you know, like, madness, and, um, I, I don't know, that's, that's my favorite scene in the movie, for sure, um, it was just very, very well done, so, RJ, any thoughts? This kind of reminded me something similar to John Copper's Vampires, as far as, um, you know, the vampires actually being somewhat scary, yeah. they really have no... They really have no... I, I guess John Carpenter's Vampires is a little bit different because they were trying to get the cross. Yeah. But They're they objective. have... Yeah, but they have no overall objective. Mm-hmm. Like, they just... You know, they don't try to be humans. They just come out and... To feed. Kill, them. do whatever they want. Yeah. I do agree with TJ. I think this would have made... Had, would really have the potential for the TV series. Um, overall, I would say it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there are just things I love, like, like I said, like the isolation and, you know, you just, I think it, it was scary and effective because, you know, after the initial attack, you know, a lot of the survivors are held up in, you know, their homes or in, in stores or in different places, and the main characters we see are holed up in an abandoned house in the attic, and I just feel like, you know... I feel like you're put in the character's shoes and every every creak of a board or every time somebody coughs, you know, you're like petrified that the vampires are going to hear because obviously, you know, they have they can hear better than us, they can smell better than us and vice versa. Um, and so, you know, I'm just it, just... it was just so scary to be in that situation and every time the characters would walk outside into the snow, you know, like... It's like one of those things, like, even though I know how it ends and I know who dies and who doesn't, you know, like... I'm just afraid every around every corner is going to be a vampire. And uh, another scene I really enjoyed was the vampires, after they had initially slaughtered most of the town, they got smart and they grabbed uh, a girl from the town and they had her march through the street and they had her yelling out for help. Obviously, this is smart because it's setting a trap and, you know, some poor soul is going to go out to try and help her. And then, you know, Josh Hartnett's character notices the vampires crawling along the rooftops trailing her waiting for somebody to come help her and um lucky for them unlucky for her nobody does and she tries to you know reason with the vampires and say like you know i did what you wanted and once she realizes that they're not going to spare her you know she's surrounded and my favorite line of the movie is marlo the main vampire comes up and he just looks at her like he just has this look in his eyes like just there's no life there's no remorse like he just sees her as like a piece of meat in a meal and she said she starts praying to god and he looks at her and he says god 
and he kind of looks in the sky and he says, no God. And I just feel like that was such a cool line because that's kind of the theme of the movie is, you know, these people are so overmatched and so helpless against what has come to their town that, I mean, they have, they have no shot, you know, guns don't stop these things. There's no sunlight. So, you know, they're, they're, they're just like cattle, like lambs to the slaughter. And I just thought that that one line like encapsulated, you know, the whole feeling of the movie and the whole plot. And, um, I just think it was just so cool. A hundred percent. I'm pretty sure that's the line in the trailer that got my like attention when it came out. Like yeah. I was like, Ooh, that was chilling. Like, yeah. And it's just, I mean, the vampires are just brutal. Like, you know, like RJ said, like they have no objective. Their objective is just to, to eat you, you know, they, and that's, I think it's scarier when a, when a monster or when a, you know, an enemy doesn't have like normal wants and needs and like, they don't, they don't need to sleep. They don't need to do anything like they, they're just, they exist to just massacre you. And I just think that that's very scary. And I think that was a very cool, cool objective because, you know, most vampire movies we see, you know, they, they want to wine and dine you and they want to talk to you. Um, and these guys were just brutal killers. Um, one thing, I don't know if you guys, so a little trivia for you. What language do you think the vampire spoke? If you had to guess. Hold on, I'm waiting for him to guess. That's why I'm not saying anything. You, do you need to know, don't you? Huh? Do you know? I'm going to guess. I don't know for okay. sure. I'm just letting him go first. I My guess would be some type of a Germanic language or um, it definitely wasn't a when I say romantic style I mean like Italian or Spanish or French mm -hmm. German a, see, a variation of German it wasn't see, actual German but... I wasn't going to guess like German but you said Germanic and like what I'm going to guess is like kind of northern Germanic but I was going to say Norwegian like Denmark or <laughs> I was going to say some, Norwegian yeah okay so fun fact the vampires actually spoke their own original language. So the director wanted the vampires to seem scarier and not to almost have like an origin. He wanted them to be more, um, more vicious and more, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but kind of like, like aggressive. Well, it's more like more animal like. And so they ended up using, um, Dothraki. No, <laughs> not quite. This was before that. Um, so they actually got a linguistics professor at a New Zealand university and he basically helped develop a language that used a lot, a lot of like clicks and sounds and consonants and stuff. So, um, it almost sounds and kind of seems like something you would see in like, like, a, like an African village. I feel like that's what it kind of reminded me of, but I thought that was cool that, you know, they, they made up their own language for this. And I mean, how, I mean, how much dedication does that take? Um, so I just, uh, that was cool. And the fact, you know, you, we see the vampires walking around stalking the town and they just have blood all over themselves. Like they don't try to clean themselves up. Like they're just there to feed. And I mean, what more perfect place than a place that has 30 days a night. Um, I mean, they, they kind of shot their wad in that first night though, which is kind of funny. Like that was the one complaint I had seen, you know, people wish that the killings were, were more drug out. But uh, I mean, at the end of the movie, uh, Josh Hartnett, you know, ends up fighting, you know, Marlo, the main vampire, and, and trying that to take back cool. the town. Yeah, Because he cool. kind of has to, like, get, he has to become a vampire to, like, get that strength to really defeat him. Yeah. It's kind of well, cool. Well, and, and Josh Hartnett ends up punching through Marlo's mouth, and, like, right through his face, which is cool, which, that actually 
so this was a, um, a comic, a graphic novel before it was a movie, and that's how the graphic novel ended, so I thought that, that was kind of cool that they stuck to the source material on that. Um, but we end up seeing that there's actually, like, a lot of people in the town. By a lot, I mean probably, like, 10 or 15 people left besides the main characters and the group we follow. So, I mean, it was interesting that, you know, so many people were able to hold up for 30 days, you know, because a lot of these people probably just ran back into their homes and didn't have time to grab supplies and stuff, but... Um, I don't know, it's just, it's just crazy to think about, like, you know, being boarded up somewhere, and, you know, we see the one character whose dad is older and has Alzheimer's, and he, you know, he's in the attic, and he freaks out, and is asking for his dead wife, and then he ends up saying he has to go to the bathroom, and he leaves and wanders off, and then the guy ends up going after him, and, you know, gets eaten from there, and, um, what did you guys think of the actual, like, vampires themselves? think they were pretty cool yeah i mentioned that earlier in my pros like like the, the fangs and stuff yeah like, like and like the the facial like makeup i guess they, they almost were it. a type of like a zombie i mean they really like in what way i i don't know i my my first thought that was that they were zombies not vampires did you think they were zombies not vampires when we saw this about halfway through the movie yeah and then i started thinking well maybe they maybe they fit better with vampire but it goes back to just how they you know i guess how they move how they act i I thought they just resembled more like zombies yeah i thought they were cool um it looks like they had contacts in which makes them scarier and they had these growls and these like grunts and stuff that you know made them more animalistic and they could speak but i think it was a very simplistic language and like you know food yes no go i thought it was cool how um josh hartnett's character used a uh not a black light, but a UV light from uh, his grandma's weed stash to uh, kill one of the vampires, which was cool because obviously we know that, you know, sunlight is super deadly to them. And, and this had, I think, most of the, a lot of the usual vampire tropes. I mean, garlic, we never got to see that come into play. Um, we never got to see any holy water or anything. So it was basically just like decapitating them or, you know, sunlight. We got to see one like ground up in a grinder, which I thought was a pretty cool scene. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I love it. This is one of my modern favorites. Um, seeing a scary vampire movie is was well overdue, and um, I mean, I think the genre definitely needed that that shot in the arm, and uh, it, it was good. I mean, the, the, the pacing was good up until the last act, I think, um, and I don't know. I just love it. So just a couple more facts just to, before we wrap this thing up. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but... There was really not much of a score or not much music in this. And I think that that was a good choice, and I think it helped to make the film feel more isolated. And I think it, I think sometimes a score can almost, it reminds you you're watching a movie. And so one thing I liked about this is it, it made it, it made you feel like you are on this journey with the characters, and I think it made it scarier. Because I feel like if, if we had heard music during this, I think it would have kind of taken you out of it now, retrospectively. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this movie needed a score. No. Or at least, a like, a really well... Yeah. No, I thought it was perfect for that. Uh, and then one thing, so I had mentioned um, how Barrow, Alaska, in the film, is a real place. Um, Barrow actually does get total darkness um, for 60 days, um, it says. They actually... It's not like a perpetual darkness, but it's kind of like it... <laughs> But it gets um, 
51, it says to 67 days uh, with no sun beginning in November and ending, um, it says around late January. I thought that was cool too because, you know, most of the time, you know, a lot of, a lot of places in movies or a lot of events that we see are not real. And I thought it was kind of cool that, you know, the town actually is this isolated and does have a lot of a time where, you know, there is no sunlight. And so it was just cool that it was drawn from um, actual real world events. So um, that's pretty much what I have to say on it. You guys ready to rate this bad boy? Yeah. Yeah. All right. RJ, you are up first. I gave it a three. Care to elaborate on that? or <laughs> I gave um... it a three, period. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm in between on this movie. I like there's things I like about it. I wouldn't necessarily say that I really loved it, but it was entertaining, I guess. Okay, TJ. I think I pretty much told my reasonings earlier because I gave a whole pros and cons list on it, and my rating's a three point five out of five, which to me is still really good. So I'm gonna go with three point five. So I was the highest on this one. Um, I give it a 4.5. Uh, I couldn't give it a, a complete 5 because I wouldn't say it's a complete classic. And I, I mean, there are a few gripes and some things I have with it. Um, like I said, I had mentioned earlier the pacing. I think the third act starts to get a little off the rails just a little bit at times. Um, but I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite modern horror films for sure. Uh, it's one that I could watch again and again and... Like I said, every time you know I watch it, even though I know how it ends and you know the characters' fates, it's just I still get scared for them each time. And it was just a very effective movie, and I'm I don't know, it really like reignited you know my faith in modern horror movies. So uh, I would highly recommend it. I think by the scores, uh, these guys would too. So I think uh, all three of our movies yeah. this time are actually uh, Death by Stereo approved, which I think is uh, a rarity. So. Um, any of these you haven't seen, um, definitely check out. They're, they're worth your time. So um, I think that's, uh, that's a good way to go with it. So Cool. Now on to one of our favorite segments. Oh, Ridiculous, ridiculous Reviews? Want me to do some Ridiculous Reviews? Absolutely. All right. I found one for each of our movies this time. So I feel like I should start Candyman and yeah. I'll work my way down. Um, so on Amazon... Mr. Visa rated Candyman, and he gave it one out of five stars. And he said, Scary? Are you kidding me? This should be rated G. <laughs> Candyman will definitely give you a toothache, cavity, and a trip to the doctor. <laughs> I believe it's the slowest, dumbest, lousy creation Wes has ever done. Wes Craven didn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I am really into scary, and this ranks the lowest for me. What a disappointment. Nothing like scary about it. <coughs> Excuse me. No edge of your set. Should be seen. No jumps, bumps, nothing. It really isn't worth watching. A real disappointment. Needed to say that twice. <laughs> this movie is a dog with fleas, and Candyman is about as scary as Huggy Bear was on Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> I, mean, I gotta give this guy credit. He has very vibrant and detailed uh, arguments on it. So at least, <laughs> at least he uh, really tried to dig deep in the vault of insults there. Um, I mean, I, everybody's not a fan. Maybe he expected something different with the title. I don't know, but um, it's, it's interesting take. We'll uh, say that. We don't care what you think, Mr. Fiza. 
Anyways, moving on. So now we've got the Wolfman. This is from So Sad Your Sorrow. <clears throat> it's titled Ugh. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> when I was a child, I discovered my love for werewolves. I loved films such as The Howling, American Werewolf in London, and Silver Bullet. In parentheses, he says, Silver, Bo- Silver Bullet being the first werewolf movie I ever saw. I think I was three or four at the time. It's a very good one. I'm surprised he can remember a movie when he's three or four, but anyways. The Wolfman was supposed to be the greatest werewolf movie of all time, so I decided to see it. I had to have been five or maybe six at the time. It did not scare me in the slightest bit. It didn't even really interest me. The greatest werewolf of all time wasn't even a werewolf. He was exactly as the title said, a wolfman, a freaking wolfman, who couldn't transform completely into a werewolf. It's almost like a werewolf form of impotency, Instead of turning into a horrifying beast like the werewolf in American Werewolf in London, he grew a stupid-looking hairdo, an underbite, some claws, and a substantial amount of excess body hair. A real, fully transformed werewolf would look at him, laugh, and then beat him like the little bitch that he is. It's a pity that so few movies have featured real werewolves and have been good, some crappy ones being Werewolf and The Howling, New Moon Rising, just to name a couple. This is terrible. I mean, I'll make sure when I see a real werewolf to kind of, you know, let them know that uh, there's a lot of posers and fakes out there, so... Yeah, I think this is like a little kid. I swear that was a little kid that wrote that. Like, he didn't really understand, like... <laughs> well, first of all, he's comparing it to movies. You know, this is in the frickin' 40s. Right. Compare it... <laughs> 40 put it years in the later. context of its time. You're comparing it to movies from the 90s and the early 2000s. I'm pretty sure it was a little kid. <laughs> I'm just He's saying. like, I saw Silver Bullet when I was five. <laughs> I do love Silver Bullet, though. That's, 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 I agree with that. That's a good one. Okay, moving on. Last one, and then we'll get this wrapped up. This is for 30 Days of Night, and it's from Shootas. Shootas. Shootas or Shootas. One out of ten stars. Oof. One and a half hour of nonsense. It's longer than that, first Here, ready? Goes, oh, oh, oh! <laughs> Where to start? Plot. Probably Blade 4 is the masterpiece comparing to this one. Absolute (laughs) nonsense. I know this movie is made according to the comics. Maybe the comic books was meant for mentally retarded because the movie was. Lots, 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 and lots of flaws. Not logic events. Unexplainable errors and things you want just to laugh at. Supposed to be scary. Not scary at all. Funny, I'd say. If you like Eskimo vampires coming from nowhere in tuxedos and smart coats killing people for fun, then this movie will be for you. Only French people can like this. <laughs> what the hell does that even mean? Top quote <laughs> of this movie. After 11 days of safe hiding, the crew, what? Led by Josh Hartnett, says, It's not safe. We have to move. You figure this one out. One out of ten stars. <laughs> You know it's one out of ten stars? His grammar. His grammar. <laughs> that physically hurt me to hear. Literally, every time I read these, I'm reading them directly from the source, and they're always terrible. Like I feel dumber having heard that now. <laughs> Only French people like that movie. Yeah, Are you well, French, Brent? I need to go get one of those DNA kits, because apparently I'm like super French. <laughs> and, uh, and, French mentally, and mentally handicapped, apparently, because it was made for those kind of people. So I feel like this person really just narrowed the, the target audience down on that one. So bravo. Really got that one right. I like it. 
So, um, actually, we have a new segment planned. I'm not going to do it because we're running out of time, but um, look out for a new segment next time, and make sure you send in those emails and feedback. We want to hear from you, like we said earlier. So, you guys got anything else? Yeah, so um, catch us next month on episode 7. So, the movies we're going to be choosing, uh, I'm bringing It Follows, which is probably my favorite modern horror film, if not one of them, for sure. Let me see if that's streaming in case they want to look it up. Hold on. Yeah. And while TJ is doing that, I'm bringing the stepfather. Is that a story about your real life? Or Wait, are you doing like the Listen old here, one? Frenchie. Just keep your opinions to yourself. Are you doing the old stepfather or the remake? The remake. Okay. The stepfather. Who's that? Who's the that? remake has, uh, it's the guy has your from boy, Tuck. Has your boy from, And the guy from uh, You, yeah. yeah. It's uh, oh, the main guy from You. But anyways, it follows, it's available to rent on Amazon, but it's not streaming anywhere. And then the stepfather. The stepfather. It is also not streaming, but it's available to rent on Amazon. And then I'm going to bring the movie They Live and Ah, oh, man. It's not streaming anywhere. It's only available to rent on Amazon. We're terrible at this. Oh, we need to find some that are streaming so that people oh, can watch three. it. Well, yeah. Let's come up soon. Uh, so. We'll be doing that in February. Uh, probably won't have it out for another couple weeks because got some vacation plans and yeah. stuff. But look out for that if you want. You'll have plenty of time to try to check out those movies if you want to give them a watch before the episode. Yeah. So thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate the listens and like he said, you know, just hit us up with some emails, any questions you have, horror related, whatever we'll answer. And um, I guess until next time, peace out, homies. Bye, guys.